Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of beautiful mountain peaks. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about the Chubu region in central Japan. So just to give you an idea of where this region is, in the east around Tokyo, you got the Kanto area, right? Then in the west around Kyoto and Osaka, you got the Kansai region. Pretty much everything between there, between those two regions, is the Chubu region, which makes a lot of sense because that name basically just translates to middle region or central part. So there you go. Yeah, Chubu is the widest part of Honshu. So you've got part of Chubu is on the Pacific coast, part of it's on the Sea of Japan coast, and then you have the Japanese Alps in the middle. Mm -hmm. I saw that this region is often overlooked by foreign tourists, but I say that's a mistake. There's a lot of cool stuff to see and do there. And as I was doing my research, I actually realized we've talked about a lot of places in this region before, just in like random episodes, you know? So I'll be calling back to those previous episodes if you want to check out, you know, more of an in-depth look into some of these places. And Paul, you and I have done some very fun stuff in the Chubu region. Yeah, we sure have. One of my favorite things was on our last trip is we hiked part of the old Nakasendo. That was awesome. That was so fun. One of the old post towns. Yeah, this ancient trail through central Japan. We also visited Mount Fuji, which is probably the biggest attraction in the Chubu region. Yeah, we should mention that. Mount Fuji is in the Chubu region. Yeah. Also in the Chubu region is Nagoya, and that's actually the third biggest urban area in Japan. You know, there's obviously the Tokyo area, and then there's the Osaka-Kyoto area, and then the third biggest urbanized area is the Nagoya area, and that's on the Pacific coast in the Chubu region. Nice. So this region is made up of nine prefectures and can be roughly divided into three sub-regions with three prefectures each. I saw there's some disagreement about how these sub-regions are divided, but generally you got the Tokai region in the south, that would be the Pacific side, right? Made up of Aichi, Shizuoka, and Gifu prefectures. Then in the northeast you have the Koshinetsu region with Niigata, Yamanashi, and Nagano prefectures. And then along the Sea of Japan side you have the Hokuriku sub-region, made up of Fukui, Ishikawa, and Toyama prefectures. There's a very big divide in the weather of these areas, too. Mm -hmm. um, if you're on the Sea of Japan side in the west, it's a really snowy winter. And if you're on the Pacific side in the east, it's a much warmer, sunnier winter. Yeah, and what you have in the middle there dividing those areas is the Japanese Alps. Lots of big mountains which are beautiful. We'll talk about all the cool stuff to see and do there. And, uh, and the region has a population of just over 23 million people, putting it at third place as a region after Kanto and Kansai. Yeah, but still far too often, we tend to think about it as just the place you travel over or yeah. pass to get between Kansai and Kanto. Mm -hmm. But that is a mistake. Yes. So as for history, normally we would do history here, 
Honestly, I couldn't find a lot of specifics about the history of the Chuba region. I mean, of course, there was a lot of stuff going on in different parts of the Chuba region. But the main thing that I came across, people were talking about how its history was shaped by its strategic position between Kyoto and Edo, which is now Tokyo. Yeah. And this, again, is only because we're talking about the history of the region. And we've mentioned before, there's no regional government. There is no anything really officially tying all these areas together other than it's been called the region because it fits well on a map. Yeah. Every city, every prefecture inside of Chubu has its great history and its own history, but we couldn't really find much of an overall arching history of the Chubu region. So we're just going to talk about the Tokaido and the Nakasendo the two main ways people traveled between Kyoto and Tokyo, or Edo at the time, it, during the Edo period. Right. So if you wanted to travel along the coast back in the day, you would take the Tokaido Trail. It roughly translates to Eastern Sea Route. Yep. This was the main way that people got between Japan's two biggest urban areas, and still is, but these days, instead of walking, of course, most people take the Tokaido Shinkansen bullet train line that was built along this path in the 1900s. Or you could also drive along the Tokaido Highway. Both of those were named after this ancient trail. But if you want to walk it, you can actually still hike parts of it, at least, which would be pretty fun, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I actually read about a woman who hiked the entire thing. I mean, she had to take some detours through suburbs and stuff because of the parts of the trail that are now a highway, but it only took 18 days to get all the way from Tokyo wow. to Kyoto. Wow. I did the math. That's like 18 miles a day. That's pretty good pace. That's a lot of walking. Yep. I bet her feet were not feeling great at the end of that. Went through a couple pairs of shoes. Yeah. But that was the standard method of travel by foot. Yeah, uh, Wheeled carts were almost non-existent in Japan. Heavy cargo was always just sent by boat because it's Japan. Why not do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Very wealthy people would travel by what was called cargo, which was basically people carried you. Oh. <laughs> you know, people carried you on a big platform that probably had a roof on it. That was quite luxurious. Yep, yep. So only the richest people would do that. Yeah. So it was a walking trail. Uh, women were forbidden to travel alone. They had to be accompanied by men. There were government-sanctioned post stations along the way that travelers could also rest at. The stations included horse stables and lodging and food and other things travelers might need. So it was well set up to be a nice travel place. A lot of samurai would travel back and forth along the path every year. Yeah, I mean, for hundreds of years, tons and tons of people were traveling along this path, so they had a lot of time to develop infrastructure to make it a more comfortable journey. There were also numerous checkpoints set up by the government, and travelers had to present traveling permits in order to proceed onward. Yeah, wasn't it, especially in the Edo period, they were like really restrictive about how people could travel? Yeah, it was one of the ways they stopped uprisings and controlled things, is you just couldn't travel without your lord's permission. So you had to have your special papers. Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty cool. There's a firsthand account from William Adams from 1613. Who's this guy? 
he and ten other Englishmen were some of the first Westerners to travel the Tokaido. Cool. He found the quality of the road remarkable and compared it to the poor state of roads back home in England. Said the gravel surfaces were wonderful even. His words, uh, that maybe is how they spoke back then. (laughs) He also said, where it meeteth the mountains, passage is cut through. So even back in the Edo period, they had cut level or somewhat level ground like through the mountain peaks where they needed to. So it was just a really well-maintained and run path. Awesome. So we mentioned in the intro, we walked a little portion of the Nakasendo, which was kind of the competing path between the two biggest urban areas. Yeah, this was your other main option. This is kind of going more through central Japan. Instead of along the coast, you're going through the mountains. The central mountain route. Exactly. So Paul and I hiked a small portion of this path between two post towns called Magome and Sumago. And honestly, out of all my trips to Japan, this might be one of my very favorite memories. It's just such an amazingly beautiful place. And, you know, you're walking through the mountains, so you get all these amazing views of mountain ranges stretching out into the distance. And the path goes through all these little rural countrysides through these tiny towns that like a lot of them are really well preserved and they look like they would have a couple hundred years ago. Yep. And then between the towns, you're going through forest. And it was just so cool to me to imagine like we're walking exactly where samurai walked hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They looked at the exact same stuff. They saw the same mountains we're seeing now, you know? Yep. Pretty awesome. I believe we mentioned at some point back in the Edo period, all the daimyo or lords uh, were supposed to spend part of each year in Edo itself. Mm-hmm. So every year, all a bunch of samurai and all the daimyos would pass back and forth, back and forth, going to and from their domains in Edo. Yeah. So very well-traveled route. They all brought a bunch of money with them too, which probably kept all these towns alive. Yeah. And one of the best parts, I think, about visiting this trail now is that it's not super touristy. Like, We saw some other people walking along this path, but not a lot. It's fairly remote. Not a lot of people make it out there. There were a lot of times where we were like by ourselves in the wilderness. Yeah. There was these bells to ring to like keep the bears away. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, you're out there when you got to ring a bell to keep the bears away. (laughs) Don't worry. They're just black bears. They're, They're afraid of people. You just need to make some noise. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the bells are there. Although I probably wouldn't want to hike it by myself just in case (laughs) so obviously this path you're doing more hiking through the mountains so it's gonna be a little more strenuous right i heard the reason that some travelers chose the nakasendo is because you don't have to ford any major rivers Uh, taking the tokaido there were quite a few rivers you had to ford or hire boats to get you across so the nakasendo was a little more straightforward we just keep walking and you'll get there yeah i highly recommend just walking even just a tiny section of the trail, just even if you're just passing through, you know, we, we did this hike just on a single day on our way from Kanto to Kansai. You know, we just stopped for, I mean, it was, it was a decent chunk of the day, but you can do it in one day. Or if you have more time, you can hike bigger sections of the trail and you can even stay overnight in traditional accommodations in these little post towns. That would be really fun. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I enjoyed what we did. I mean, we left early, I think, in the morning, got on the train, and then we stopped and 
went and took like a 10 kilometer hike or something yeah. through the mountains and it was great. Yeah, we had to take a couple like local trains and then a taxi to get to Magome where we started our hike. But yep. And then we went back to the Shinkansen and went to Kyoto. Mm-hmm. And we still got to Kyoto with time to like go out that night and do stuff. Yeah. So that was a really, really good day. That was a great day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we always do these region episodes and there's so much to talk about in so many places. And it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about nine different prefectures here and all the cool stuff you should see. There's so much more stuff that we're going to talk about, but I just picked out some stuff that I thought stood out to me as really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just picked out whatever caught our eye and looked like a fun place to visit. So I'm sure we missed a lot, but. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Tokai subregion first? Yeah, let's start with that one. So this is the one that's mostly bordering the Pacific Ocean. Start uh, in Aichi Prefecture. This is where Nagoya is. Mm-hmm. Might as well start with the biggest city, the biggest population place. Yep. It is the capital of Aichi Prefecture in Japan's fourth largest city. About two million inhabitants. Okay. It developed as a castle town in the Edo period. So one major attraction there is Nagoya Castle. Mm -hmm. It was the seat of one of the three branches of the Tokugawa family. And it was actually one of the largest castles in the whole country. Like most castles in Japan these days, this is a, a reconstruction, but it's a really impressive reconstruction. Paul, did you read anything about the castle's palace? Um, not that I recall. So like, most, well, a lot of castles, all that remains is the keep, right? Kind of the most impressive central structure. You know, that's what people envision, I think, when they think Japanese castle. But this one has a palace, too, which is like shorter, but also really impressive and ornate and elaborate. And in 2018, they rebuilt this castle's palace completely with traditional construction methods and materials, so there's no concrete or anything. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I saw pictures of the inside. It's insane, like tons of gold leaf, really elegant, and like, you know, just that clean, simple, traditional style. So that's the palace, and then next to that, they also have the keep itself, which is currently made of concrete, like a lot of other reconstructed castles, but they're planning to tear it down in 2023, and they're going to rebuild that as well with traditional methods and materials. Oh, wow. So by 2028, the castle will pretty much be exactly how it was when it was first built. That's an awesome project. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. I would love to see that once that's finished. And actually, if you're really into castles like I am, maybe you can tell, there's another castle nearby in Inuyama, and that's uh, one of Japan's oldest wooden castles in its original state. Ah. An original. There's only a few of those still around these days. Yeah, like a dozen, I think. Yeah, something like that. Another great place to check out in Nagoya is Atsuta Jingu. It is a shrine dedicated to the sun goddess Amaterasu, and it stores the sacred sword Kusanagi, which is one of the three imperial regalia of Japan. Wow. Note, however, that uh, the sword is never displayed in public because it's way too important for us to look at. Bummer. Um, (laughs) During the Meiji period, the shrine was remodeled after the like of the Issei shrines, 
to give it that purely Japanese architectural style. Cool. So I think it'll be really cool to look at mm-hmm. and explore. Uh, as I mentioned, the Tokugawas were, were big in Nagoya. So they also have the Tokugawa Art Museum there, where you can see treasures from the Owari, one of the three major branches of the Tokugawa family. And it was actually built on the grounds of their former feudal residence. So they have like artifacts from this family. They have their samurai armor, their swords, tea utensils, no masks and costumes and stuff. Sounds pretty cool. Wow. One place I want to go to is the SC Maglev and Railway Park. Yeah. It's a really big railway museum of central Japan railways. They seek to educate visitors on the high-speed rails of Japan, and they display a number of actual trains going all the way back to steam locomotives. I saw they have 39 of them, and this place is huge. It looks like an airplane hangar like it's yeah. to house all these trains. They've got Shinkansen trains, too, mm-hmm. and you can go in them, you can go under them, you can look at them from all angles. Mm-hmm. You can learn about the world record-setting experimental bullet trains that they've been working on. Yep. And uh, did you mention maglev, like what, what maglev trains are? No. Maglev means magnetic levitation, which is awesome. I mean, you got these trains hovering off of the track, so there's no friction. They can move faster than any train ever has before. Yep. Very cool. In the museum, there's also this really huge diorama that's got detailed recreations of Osaka, Nagoya, and Tokyo, and the trains running through them. Mm. <laughs> so that looks really cool, too. I saw they have train simulators, too. You can see what it's like to actually drive them. Nice. Yeah. And there's an English audio guide you can rent that'll kind of help walk you through and explain things in the museum for you. Speaking of transportation, just outside of Nagoya is the Toyota Kaikan Museum. Toyota is one of the very biggest car manufacturers in the world. They've been making cars since 1937. And you get to to explore the history of the Toyota company. They've got all sorts of displays about where they started and all the cars they built over the years. And my favorite, with cars at least, is the future. They got all the concept cars. They're just wild. That look so cool. And all the plans they have of developing new technologies I would definitely be into taking a look at that. Yeah, I love seeing those concept cars in person. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been to an auto show, but maybe we should go next year. Yeah. Yeah, anything else, Naichi? Yeah, I saw that uh, there's a popular vacation destination just outside Nagoya called Nagashima Resort. They have five main leisure facilities. They got the Nagashima Spa Land Amusement Park. They have a water park. They have a hot spring complex. They have an outlet shopping mall and a flower park. Flower park sounds dope. Yeah. The main attraction there is the Spa Land. It's supposed to be the best amusement park for roller coasters in Western Japan. Roller coasters is not what I was imagining when you said Spa Land. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think Spa Land is separate from the water park. So Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like roller coasters, though. There's also Atira no Nanataki, which is a seven-layered waterfall, and you can hike kind of up along it. 
So basically seven layers means it falls like seven times, like not necessarily right in a row, but like pretty close together. Yeah, like the the water's cascading down all these different levels, right? Yeah, it's almost like seven different waterfalls kind of all in one. And you can kind of hike up along it and like get close to it and see all the different. That seems like a nice get out of the city, enjoy some beautiful hiking and some sights. Yeah. Um, Aichi is known for using a lot of miso in its cooking Hmm. to get the depth of earthy umami flavor. So miso nikomi udon is a very healthy and delicious noodle dish. They serve the udon with a rich miso broth and a whole bunch of veggies. Sounds sounds good. Right up my alley. (laughs) There's also gohei mochi. Oh, we talked about that in the mochi episode. Yeah, so it's basically skewered mochi coated with a sweet miso sauce and roasted over a flame. Yeah. So that's an Aichi specialty. Nice. Don't miss it. Should we move on to Shizuoka Prefecture? Okay. The capital of that prefecture is Shizuoka City. And this city, as well as the rest of the prefecture, is most known for their tea. It's one of the top three places in Japan for growing tea. So you can visit the World Tea Museum in Makinohara, and they have places where you can pick your own tea leaves. They have places where you can participate in the tea ceremony. Lots of tea stuff to do around Shizuoka Prefecture. Absolutely. In Shizuoka, there is a shrine called Kunozan Toshogu, which is a shrine dedicated to Tokugawa Ieyasu. Yeah, he was the first Tokugawa shogun. Very important, dude. Yep. He spent the last decade of his life living in a nearby castle and expressed his wish for his mausoleum to be on Mount Kunozan. Hmm. So he's actually buried there. The main approach to the shrine involves a considerable climb up a mountain, which for me sounds like a nice hike. But there's also a ropeway available that you could buy a ticket to. They'll take you up to the top. Yeah. I saw that it's over a thousand stone steps you have to climb to get up there. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. And it sounds like a really pretty view, too, as you're yeah, climbing up the mountain. Yeah, absolutely. It overlooks the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, the shrine itself looks really impressive. Like, it's it's really elaborate. I mean, this guy is really important. It makes sense. And it... The style reminded me a lot of uh, the other, there's another Toshogu shrine in Nikko mm-hmm. that's also very elaborate. Yeah, we talked about that before, I believe. Yeah, very colorful, like just more little details than you normally see at shrines. Yeah, carvings, paintings, a lot mm-hmm. of bright red, a lot of gold. Yep. And then uh, if you go deeper into the woods, you get to the tomb of Ieyasu. Cool. Outside of the shrine, there's a museum which exhibits some of Ieyasu's personal belongings, which actually sounds kind of cool. Like, he was such an important historical figure, like, going to see the stuff that he touched and lived with. Like, I'm into it. Yeah. Swords, armor, clothing, scrolls, all his displayed there. Love it. So I really want to go. Yeah. Also in Shizuoka Prefecture is a small city of Kakagawa, known for its tea production, of course. It's actually on the Shinkansen line, so you can get there really easily. There's stunning views of the tea fields. One of the tea fields even has Mount Fuji in the background if it's a clear day. 
There's Kakagawa Castle, which has a traditionally built tower that's notable example of the Edo period. And there's a tea house on the castle grounds where you can get tea and traditional dessert surrounded by a really beautiful garden. That's always fun. There's also a bird park in the city that uh, is really famous. They've got a ton of birds. They've got owls, penguins, even tropical species like toucans and parrots. I don't know if I'd go see a bunch of caged birds, but yeah, it looks like kind of a cool place too. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Mount Fuji, which is another important thing in Shizuoka Prefecture, at least half of it. Anyway, the other half is in Yamanashi Prefecture. It kind of straddles the line there. But um, we talked all about Mount Fuji in episode 10, way, way back there in episode 10. So if you want to learn all about the mountain itself and how you can climb it and all that sort of stuff, you can check out that episode. And uh, I also saw that this prefecture has a ton of places that are kind of just famous for their amazing views of Mount Fuji, like Miho Beach, Shimizu Port. You know, these are places, I feel like a lot of people want to see Mount Fuji with water in front of it, you know, looking over a lake at Mount Fuji, pretty cool view. Shizuoka Prefecture also has Izu Peninsula, which is a resort area popular for its onsen, beautiful coastlines, beaches, and scenic mountains. Sounds like a nice place if you want to get out into nature a little bit, you know, get away from the city. And it's reachable even as a weekend getaway from Tokyo, like it's not too far to get there. Yeah, it's not too far to get to any of these places in Chubu. Mm -hmm. Shinkansen can get you there in, you know, just a couple hours. Well, less than a couple hours, I think, right? Yep. Uh, the food in Shizuoka Prefecture is influenced by its green tea heritage and wasabi. Those are kind of the two keynotes that distinguish it. I love both of those things. Yeah, sounds like a lot of good food. Yeah. We move on to Gifu Prefecture. Let's do it. This is home to the northern Japanese Alps and many hot springs. Gifu City is the capital of the prefecture, and they have a castle of their own, Gifu Castle. It's supposed to have one of the most impressive views of any castle in Japan. And this is one that has already been rebuilt to the original specs of the, uh, you know, its first iteration in the 1500s. Nice. Yeah. Gifu Prefecture is home to Shirakawago. Oh, we just did a whole episode about that not long ago. So you can go check that out. It's an amazing place. Yeah. Episodes, no sorry. Episode 64 is yeah. the one we did. Oh, good memory. I wrote it down. <laughs> Known for its traditionally built farmhouses. Yeah. It's basically just this little tiny mountain village, you know, very traditional small town sort of feel, unique architecture, very cool place. And there are actually other towns nearby where you can see examples of the same style of architecture places like gokayama and takayama that whole area is just beautiful takayama seemed really cool to me as you said famous for all its old edo style buildings and they've got a museum there called the festival forest which showcases all aspects of the festivals or matsuri that they have there hmm. there's even on display some of the largest drums in the world. There's these huge taiko drums that are played by robots, of course, <laughs> because Japan. <laughs> sure. And you get to see that. 
Um, there's also a whole bunch of beautiful stuff about festivals. Nice. Seems like a really cool place to visit. Cool. In the summer months, I saw that Gifu is popular for ukai fishing. Did you see anything about this, Paul? Uh, what kind of fishing is that? <laughs> You're not going to like it. Uh, <laughs> I'll okay. tell you that. Okay. So this is a 1,300-year-old tradition where local master fishermen use cormorants to catch fish. Cormorants are these big birds. Uh, okay. You've heard about this? I've seen people do something in China where they take a bird like that and they tie a string around the bird's neck so it can't swallow the fish that it catches. Right. That's why I thought you wouldn't like this one very much. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. They can still swallow small fish, apparently. It's just the big ones that the fishermen want that get stuck. And then when, you know, when the birds catch this big fish, they bring it back to the fishermen, who rewards the bird with every eighth fish. So, <laughs> I mean, I definitely get why, you know, this is controversial for some people. Mm -hmm. What I couldn't figure out is, like, why the birds keep coming back, you know? They could just... I can't when, remember. I saw a video on it once, and they have ways of training them. I mean, yeah, they're trained, but the bird could just leave. Yeah, well, then it would have a string around its neck and never be able to eat anything again. Well, I mean, when they take the string off, then the bird's like, I'm free, and just flies away. Maybe. I don't know I don't how know. birds think. Anyway, if you are interested in seeing this cormorant fishing thing, they do it at night by firelight. Kind of a cool-looking atmosphere. You know, you're out on these boats with these big torches on either end of the boat and uh you can go out there on a separate boat that brings you out to watch and sometimes they'll even serve dinner to you while you're watching this show kind of okay the food in gifu is influenced by its indigenous magnolia leaf that they put to use by blending in miso or blending with miso in dishes okay also, mountain chestnuts grown there serve as the basis of a lot of their sweets, hmm. which sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Um, I also saw that Gifu just has kind of a lot of beautiful old small rural towns, which is one of my favorite types of places in Japan. Gujo Hachiman and Furukawa are a couple places known for their traditional old town areas and traditional festivals. Okay, so that was the Tokai region, sub-region. What right? sub-region we got next? Uh, next would be the Koshinetsu sub-region. I saw this called the Roof of Japan. Ah. Because of all their rugged mountains, including the Japanese Alps. That makes sense because pretty much all I've got in my notes is ski resorts. Okay. <laughs> this also used to be the main silk producing region in Japan. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Should we start with Niigata Prefecture? Yeah. And this is, you know, I said that the subregions were kind of open to interpretation a little bit. I saw that some people considered Niigata Prefecture part of the Hokuriku subregion. Okay. Just a note. Fair enough. Yeah. So the capital of Niigata Prefecture is Niigata City. It's also Japan's largest agricultural city. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's mostly covered with rice fields. If you look look it up on Google Maps, it's mostly green little rectangles. Okay, nice. And uh, they are known for their high-quality Koshihikari rice. Yes. And I, I've spent many years looking for the best rice, you know. And what I've settled on is Koshihikari. 
if you go to an Asian market, you're looking for Japanese rice, look for Koshi Hikari. It's my favorite, personally, species of rice. We're talking super premium, short grain rice, known for its firmness, its consistency, its natural sweetness, the beautiful aroma. Perfect. All those things. Yeah, it's just the perfect texture, the perfect chewiness, you know? And the city is also known for something that they make with that rice, which is sake. Oh, now you're speaking my language. (laughs) Thought you might like that. Got some fun facts for you, Paul. There is an annual sake fair every March where sake producers from around the prefecture come and you can sample their products. Wow. But even if you aren't there in March, there's a Ponchukan Sake Museum there. Sounds awesome. They have a wall covered in these little vending machines where you can buy samples of sake from the 95 sake brewers in the prefecture. There's also a sake tasting corner where you can get five shots of sake for 500 yen. I like it. And there are actually three branches of this museum located at different train stations around the city. And at one of the branches, at the Echigo Yuzawa branch, they have a hot sake onsen. Ooh. You can bathe in sake that has been blended into an alkaline hot spring bath. Sounds good for your skin. Mm-hmm. Also in Niigata is Yuzawa. Yeah, one of the biggest ski areas in Japan. And probably the most easily accessible one from Tokyo. You can be on the slopes from Tokyo Station in under two hours. Nice. It's known for its deep powder and long ski season. Awesome. And of course, there's onsen there because it's Japan and you're in the mountains. Yeah. So that sounds like a really nice place to stop Mm -hmm. and ski any time from November to May. It's a long season. Yes, it is. Just off the coast of Niigata Prefecture, you have Sato Island which we have mentioned before. It came up in our Taiko episodes. You remember that, Paul? I do, yeah. Because that is where the world-renowned Taiko group Kodo is from. And that group actually hosts an annual music festival there called the Earth Celebration, which is uh, the island's biggest attraction. And, Paul, do you know anything about the history of Sato Island? No, I don't. I thought this was interesting. I learned that it used to be used as a place to send political exiles. Ah, interesting. Yeah. The three most prominent figures that were sent there were the former emperor Juntoku, the Buddhist monk Nichiren, and Zayami Motokiyo, who was the founder of No Theater. How'd he get exiled? He did something. I didn't look into the details, but he did something to make the government not happy with him, and they exiled him. All right. So uh, apparently on the island, there are still traces of the culture and religion brought there by these exiles. And uh, another fun thing I found on the island is there's an old gold mine that you can visit. This was a major source of funding for the Tokugawa shogunate, actually, in the Edo period. And now you can go into the gold mine and walk around. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, shall we move on to Yamanashi Prefecture? Sure. You might think, based on a pattern that seems to be emerging, you might think that the uh, capital is Yamanashi City, but it's not. Kofu City is the capital of this prefecture, and it is surrounded by mountains. It's the birthplace of Japanese wine production. You can visit various wineries around there. 
But it seemed to me like the city is kind of overshadowed by Mount Fuji, which, as I mentioned, is uh, on the south edge of this prefecture. And at the base of Mount Fuji on that side, there's a, the Fuji Five Lakes area. Yep. One of the best places to view Mount Fuji from close up, apparently. Mm-hmm. We did a whole episode about Mount Fuji, so I'm not going to go into details, but you can climb it in summer. You can view it all year. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Hot Springs, museums, Fuji-Q Highland is around there. That's uh, one of Japan's most popular amusement parks. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it. We did. We did. <laughs> I want to talk about Shosenkyo Gorge. It's just north of Kofu, and it's said to be one of Japan's most beautiful gorges. It's inside Tamakai National Park which covers over 1,250 square kilometers of mountain region. Sounds Um, like a lot. Yeah. (laughs) There's just tons of hiking trails and like old wooden bridges and waterfalls and just sounds like a really cool place to go explore for a while. Totally. Yamanashi is known for its dumpling style noodles. What are dumpling style noodles? I think, I guess they make it the same way they make dumplings, but they cut it into a noodle. I'm not that good okay. at noodle making to like know the difference of how you make a normal noodle versus a dumpling. Yeah. It's a uh, barley based noodles because they grow barley there. Cool. So I like noodles. So sounds good. Yeah. We'll move on to Nagano Prefecture. Yeah. Nagano is pretty famous if you're old enough to remember the 1998 Winter Olympics. You mm-hmm. will know Nagano. Yep. You can still find some of those former Olympic facilities around town. And uh, Nagano City, of course, is the capital of Nagano Prefecture. It evolved as a temple town around Zenkoji, one of Japan's most popular temples. Mm-hmm. Uh, northwest of the city, I saw there's something called Miyoko Togakushi Park. They have a lot of popular shrines there, but the most interesting thing, I think, is that it is the home of the legendary Togakure Ninja School. Ah, okay. So the village of Togakure itself is now a museum about the history of ninjas, and they have local artifacts, weapons, tools, clothing, cool ninja stuff, and you can actually visit a real period ninja house. Apparently, it looks super ordinary. At first glance, but on the inside, it has secret doors, hidden rooms, booby traps all over the place. That sounds like what I expect out of a ninja house. Yeah. They also have a place called Chibiko Ninja Mura, where they teach ninja techniques. Oh. They have obstacle courses, Aikido workshops, shuriken, throwing, blow pipes, and you get to try all this stuff out. And uh, officially, it's intended for children. But from what I saw, it sounds like a fair amount of adults also get involved. (laughs) And you can even rent a ninja costume there to really get in character. Nice. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Senkoji. I thought it was pretty cool. It was founded way back in the 7th century. So it's a very old temple. It's said to house the first ever Buddhist statue brought to Japan. Wow. Backwood Buddhism was first introduced in the 6th century. That is notable. So that's pretty cool. Also in the basement of, I think, the main hall, but I'm not quite sure, 
there's an underground passage that you walk through in complete darkness in search of the key of paradise. The key is attached to a wall somewhere along the corridor. And if you find it and touch it, it's believed to grant salvation to you. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a pretty cool pagoda there that you can go check out. And a museum, of course. That's got a whole bunch of statues of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Cool. Uh, Matsumoto is the second largest city in the prefecture, most famous for Matsumoto Castle, one of Japan's most beautiful original castles. Just outside of Matsumoto is a place we talked about in episode 57. Dayo Wasabi Farm? That's the one. Yeah, that place seems so cool. Yeah. Get that wasabi ice cream. Yeah, they've got wasabi everything there and all the wasabi fields you can hike through and tour. Mm -hmm. It looks so cool. Yeah. Another place we've talked about in this prefecture is Jigokudani Monkey Park. Yep. A very popular attraction. You've probably seen the pictures of those Japanese macaques, also known as snow monkeys, hanging out in those steaming hot springs in the winter, just surrounded by snow. At episode 58, we talked about animal islands and villages, and we covered this one. Although, I don't know, there's not a ton more to say. It's kind of just a place where you go and look at these snow monkeys yeah, in the hot go, springs. Go watch cool monkeys bathing. Yep. <laughs> Um, now, my personal favorite place in Nagano Prefecture is the Kiso Valley. Why is that? This is an ancient trade route that makes up a part of the Nakasendo, and this is where that section that you and I hiked was at. That was the Kiso Valley, but of course, just a tiny part of it. The whole Kiso Valley is 70 kilometers long. Oh, wow. And from what I've seen, it's all beautiful. Like, the main attraction is those post towns. You know, we, we talked about how we were in Magome and Sumago. There's another one that I really want to see called Narai that is really pretty and uh, was apparently one of the richest of the post towns in the area. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nagano has arguably the nation's best soba noodles. Okay. Also famed for buckwheat dumplings. Or buckwheat is how they make the dumpling, and then they stuff it with delicious things. Yeah. Sounds good. I'd try that. Yeah. Are we to our last subregion now? I think so. Hokuriku subregion. Yeah. Should we start with Fukui Prefecture? Yeah. Uh, but before we get there, I just had some uh, a couple little facts about the subregion. Oh, okay. So this is the one on the Sea of Japan coastline, right? And this is the area that gets really cold and has a lot of snow in winter. And uh, it actually has the highest volume of snowfall of any inhabited and arable region in the world. Wow. I thought it was kind of interesting why that is. Apparently what happens is you got Siberia up there in Russia, right? And there are these dry air masses that come down from there. They cross the Sea of Japan and as they cross the sea, they pick up a bunch of humidity, right? So now you got all this really wet air that hits Japan, and then you got the Japanese Alps, all those mountains. They're pushing that humid air up, and then as it gets higher, the cold mountain air makes that humidity condense, and then you got massive amounts of snow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable how much it snows. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Fukui Prefecture, you said. Yeah. I just need to start right away with the coolest thing ever. I want to talk about 
the Fukui Prefectural Dinosaur Museum. I thought that might be where you were going. <laughs> it is recognized as one of the top dinosaur museums in the world. Yeah. And it's the largest in Japan. It's in Katsuyama City, and there are over 40 dinosaur skeletons on display with excellent English descriptions everywhere. It's the center of dinosaur research in Japan. There's apparently a bunch of dinosaur bones they get nearby, which is why the museum is located there. Yeah, they even have ones called the Fukui Raptor and the Fukui Saurus. Mm-hmm. That's where they found the first skeleton of that dinosaur, and it got named after Fukui. I saw you can actually handle real fossils there, too. What? Yeah. I didn't see that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it looks incredible. Yeah. Worth your time if you're into that sort of thing. Who's not into dinosaurs? Those things are awesome. There's like one person somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. In Fukui City, the capital of the prefecture, from what I saw, honestly, there aren't many major tourist attractions in the city, but I saw that there's some cool stuff in the forested hills and coastlines around the city. Most notable, perhaps, is Eheiji Temple. Yeah, that place looks so cool. Yeah, it's an active monastery in the mountains, and they have around 200 monks who live there and train in Soto Zen Buddhism. It was founded in 1244 by the Buddhist scholar who first introduced Soto Zen Buddhism to Japan in 1228. Cool. So it goes way back, all the way to the beginning. Yeah. It's one of the two head temples of the Soto sect. And here's the part I thought was so cool. So you mentioned the snowfall earlier. Mm -hmm. There's over 70 buildings in this temple, and they're all connected to each other with walkways with overhead ceilings because of all the snow so they can still get between building and building all year round mm, i bet it's super pretty in winter yeah oh ah, oh, i bet it's so cool it just seems like it'd be really cool to visit like a fully functional buddhist temple where like all these monks are living it just seems like something out of a movie or something yeah and like in winter when there's all the snow on the ground and everything's silent it's already kind of like really Zen. Seeing that at a Zen temple is just like double down on your Zenness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one place that caught my eye was Tonjinbo, which is a kilometer long stretch of basalt cliffs along the Sea of Japan coast, kind of near Fukui City. So this is one of those places where they have the pillar-shaped rocks that are hexagonal. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Like they're all kind of bunched together and at different levels and it looks like an alien planet or something. Yep, yep. It's a unique geological formation that is only visible in three spots in the world and nowhere else in Japan. I think there's one in like Ireland or something that I've seen pictures of before. You know, you've heard me uh, rave about the video game Death Stranding, right? Yeah. There are landscapes in that game that are designed after places like that. I wonder if it's that specific place because it was, yeah, it's a Kojima production. It was made in Japan. Probably. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Those areas just look really, I mean, otherworldly is the only way I can describe them. Ready to move on to Ishikawa Prefecture? Yeah, we probably should. I think we've been going for a while here. Yeah. 
There's just so many good things to talk about. Yeah. So Kanazawa is the capital of Ishikawa Prefecture, and I can personally attest to the greatness of this city as a place to visit. They have some very cool historic samurai and geisha districts. And if you happen to go in fall, I recommend something called Geisha Evenings in Kanazawa. They have these events every fall at a historic tea house there called Kaikaro. And uh, they have these geisha performances that are specifically aimed at foreign tourists. So it's kind of one of your few opportunities to see a geisha up close in person. Yeah. And they teach you about geisha culture. You get to play some fun drinking games. They perform traditional music and dance. Very cool experience. Yeah, all the history there in Kanazawa is partly due because in World War II, Kanazawa was the second largest city in Japan not to get destroyed by air raids. Oh, I didn't you realize know, that. Kyoto was the other one. Mm-hmm. So that's why you've got all those really great old districts still alive in the city. Nice. I also saw that Kanazawa is where they're famous for the gold leaf covered ice cream. Yeah. So Kanazawa has long been uh, the main producer of gold leaf in Japan. And you can see evidence of that all over the city. The ice cream is the most (laughs) eye-catching example of that. Yeah. So I had like an ice cream cone where they, they just take a sheet of gold leaf and wrap the ice cream in gold. Edible gold, like you can eat the gold. It's pretty cool. It definitely looks cool. Yeah. And by edible gold, like it's gold. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just so thin that it like doesn't affect your body at all. Yeah, you barely notice it's there when you eat it. You just get like this very slight little metallic sensation on your tongue. You know what I mean? Mm. It's hard to describe. But yeah, it's so thin, you barely even feel it on your tongue. It's just this slight metallic little thing. Yeah, I don't even know if I can imagine eating gold, <laughs> you know? Didn't I? So I bought a bunch of edible gold and brought it back that you can buy little packets of like gold flakes or they have little cutouts of like different shapes in gold leaf and you can put them on your food. I thought I'd made you eat some when I got, when I brought that home. I feel like the flakes sound familiar, but I don't think I tasted it as much like the same way the whole sheets covering the ice cream versus a few flakes in your thing. Yeah. The flakes, you just don't even notice at all. It looked really cool. Like you put it over rice and like it's shimmering and shining. Yeah. I don't think I really tasted it though. Yeah. It's mostly just a fun little novelty, but it is fun. Another great thing about Kanazawa is Kenroku and Garden. Yeah. One of Japan's top three most beautiful gardens. Ah, there's so many beautiful gardens in Japan. If they're calling it top three, sold. I want to see it. Yeah, it's cool. It's really big. Have you heard of Ninja Dera or Ninja 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 Temple? Temple? No. So, oh wait, maybe. Mio Ryuji is commonly known as Ninja Dera because it was a temple built by the Maeda Lords that were ruling over the area during the Edo period. But during the Edo period, there were strict rules about how defensible you could make your castle. So they built this temple kind of as a first defense for their castle. And the reason it's referred to as Ninja Temple is because it's like secretly a defense, but really it was built to look like a temple. So there's hidden traps and winding corridors to confuse attackers. So that's how it got the ninja name. Okay. 
I feel like that's another one of those things that was on my list, but I didn't manage to get there. And I think I remember, if this is the same place I'm thinking of, they don't have a ton of stuff in English there. Did you hear anything about yeah, that? Yeah, I heard guided tours in Japanese only. Yeah. Uh, but you can get an English guidebook yeah. to kind of like read along yourself. Cool. So that's Kanazawa. But if you want to check out something a little more secluded, see some coastal scenery, get out in nature a little bit. The Noto Peninsula is a popular destination in Ishikawa Prefecture. They have lots of cool temples and shrines, beaches, onsen. Also, south of Kanazawa, I saw that there's an area called Kaga Onsen, which is a collection of four very highly rated hot spring towns. The thing that sets this place apart from other onsen towns is their public baths. So in the past, not every inn there had their own baths, so they would have a public communal bath that everybody in town could use, and they still have those these days, and they're very popular with visitors and residents. Cool. I think we're to the last prefecture of the episode, Paul. Oh, wow. We made it all the way to Toyama Prefecture. Yep. Capital is Toyama City. And this is another former castle town. So they have a pretty cool castle you can visit. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're into museums and history, you might want to visit the Toyama Municipal Folk Craft Village. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. It's not even just a single museum. It's a village of museums. This is just west of downtown Toyama. There's a collection of museums. They have one about folk art. They got one about folklore. They have one about ceramics. There's archaeology and medicine peddlers because Toyama was historically a center of medicine. Oh. Yeah. And actually, if you're into the medicinal history of the place, in downtown Toyama, you can visit a traditional medicine shop called Ikeda Yasube Shoten, and they will show you the traditional way of making pills, and you can try it out yourself. Make making pills. pills huh? yeah. All right. And I think I read that there's like a restaurant there where you can have food that's made with all these like traditional medicinal herbs and stuff. One of the coolest things I came across in Toyama Prefecture is the Tateyama Kurobe Alpine Root. Yes, 100%. That place looks cool. Yeah. So this is a route through the northern Japanese Alps. It connects Toyama City to Omachi Town, which is over in Nagano Prefecture, and is popular for amazing views of the Tateyama Mountain Ridge, which is part of the Chubu Sangaku National Park. There's also lots of hiking around there. They got ropeways and cable cars to help you get around. But the coolest part, Paul, I know you know what I'm getting at, right? I'm going to guess you're talking about... uh... The upper sections of Mitagahara, where the snow walls reach 20 meters high. Yeah. (laughs) 20 meters high. That's 65 feet. That's like, I can't even imagine. Like, I see a five foot snow bank here and I'm like, that's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So between April and June, you can walk or drive through this snow corridor and I mean, these walls of snow on either side are just so high. Yeah. I almost, I feel like you would get claustrophobic in there. Like you, could. I mean, if those walls came tumbling down, I mean, they're not going to, but you would, you'd be buried yeah. under. And it's literally a two lane road with just 90 degree angle straight up 20 meter snow wall. Yeah. Like 
It's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. And it might seem weird that you can only get through there between April and June. Like, isn't, I mean, that's spring basically. But the reason is that between December and April, there's so much snow that it's completely inaccessible. Yep. So I wonder how they even make this corridor. Like, do they just have this giant machine that can cut a path through this 65 foot deep snow? That's how I imagine it. Yeah. 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 Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Alpine route's not just a road. Like, if you want to travel it, it's a combination of cable cars and buses and ropeways to get you through. So that's yeah. why, that's part of what's so cool about it. Because, like, the terrain's just insane. You're passing through some of the tallest mountains in the country. Mm-hmm. There's also hiking trails off the path that you can take, to to get a little leisurely walk and see some sights. Uh, at Toyama Bay, there's an attraction that we have talked about before. In episode 44, we talked about how between March and June, late at night, you can see those glowing firefly squid in Toyama Bay, remember? Yeah, I do remember that. They light up the bay with this really cool electric blue. Yep. And so there are boats that'll take you out into the bay, and you can see these little glowing squids out there, and there's a museum nearby where you can learn all about them too. Seems like a pretty cool place. Absolutely. All right, so that's uh, that's the Chuba region. Last thing I want to talk about is how do you get around? How do you get to the Chuba region? Got any tips, Paul? I do. We talked a lot about the Tokaido and the Tokaido Shinkansen, so that's a good one. Uh, it makes stops in Shizuoka, Kakagawa, and Nagoya, amongst other stops. I think there's around 10 in total. There's also the Hokuriku Shinkansen line, which runs in the northern part and western coast of the Chubu region that connects Tokyo to Kanazawa. Yeah, that one can get you to Nagano, Toyama, and Ishikawa prefectures. And the Joetsu Shinkansen gets you to Niigata. So you can get you know around most of this region on the Shinkansen, so pretty quick travel. Yep. Now there's other major train routes that connect a lot of the big cities too. Yeah, for Fukui and Yamanashi prefectures, those are the only two in the region where you'll have to take some local trains or limited express trains because they don't have Shinkansen stations. So it'll take a little longer to get out there, but, you know, it's pretty quick to get around. Yeah. For reference, it's about two hours and 20 minutes from Tokyo to Kyoto in the Shinkansen. So Mm -hmm. anywhere you're going from either one of those cities in the Shinkansen is not going to take you that long to get to somewhere in Chubu. Mm Mm-hmm. I saw, though, that if you're coming from the other direction, from Osaka instead of from Tokyo, you know, it's it's mostly easy. There are Shinkansen and Limited Express trains, but if you want to get to Niigata specifically, it actually makes more sense to fly, because otherwise you have to take the Shinkansen all the way to Tokyo and then change trains to get back to Niigata. It would take like four and a half hours. Interesting. That's the one exception to quick, easy travel. Um, It's also a region where you could consider renting a car, especially if you wanted to tour some of the smaller mountain towns. Sure. Uh, Any other tips? That's all I got. All right. Same here. All right. Sounds like that's the end of the episode. Yeah, we got there. Yeah. The regions are always kind of packed full of long episodes, but that's because there's so much cool stuff in Japan. Yeah. And, you know, eventually I'm sure we'll do 
episodes about specific cities where we can get into more details and stuff. But uh, it's just an overview region episode. Yeah, I mean, we've already done episodes on Mount Fuji and Shirakawa Go. Yeah. We'll hit more specific stuff as we go. Yep. All right. Well, I have some pictures that I'll be sharing on our Instagram. We are SJP Podcast. Got stuff from Shirakawa Go, Kanazawa, the Nakasendo. Those are some cool pictures. Oh, yeah. See if you can find the cat hiding in the oh, yeah. display. That was, that was a cute little guy. Yeah. If you want to reach out to us, you can send an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash sightseeingjapanpodcast. And if you have a moment to spare, it would help us out a lot if you could give us a review and or a rating on your favorite podcast platform. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we are talking about robots in Japan. That's going to be a fun one. Oh, it's going to be so great. Yeah, this was a uh, listener-requested episode, and it was kind of a while ago, so sorry to that listener that we took so long to get to it, but I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. What a great suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Giant robots, little itty-bitty robots. They got all sorts of stuff out there. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time.